everyone. I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 57. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Today's guest is Shani Swift, a massage therapist and social justice advocate from Chicago. If you've been around What Should I Read Next for a while, you know I can be a bit of a personality type geek, and Shani shares that enthusiasm, as you'll hear. Today, we talk all about scanning and deep diving reading styles, books that help us understand our differences, and comfort reads for when you feel like parts of your life are in limbo. Let's get to it. Readers, on our recent Ask Me Anything episode, I got lots of questions about recommending books for kids. When it comes to children's recs, I rely on people who know children's books, and Literati Kids sure does. Literati Kids is a book club subscription that sends five beautiful children's books to your door each month, handpicked by experts. They tailor each box with age-appropriate selections for children aged 0 to 12, and around themes like mystery, adventure, and history. My 10-year-old loved his Literati box and found several new favorite authors among their personalized selections. In addition to the books your child receives, receives artwork from world-renowned artists, personalized stickers, and other fun goodies in each monthly box. Go to literati.com slash readnext for 25% off your first two orders and pick your kids' book club today. Remember, no one else has kids' book clubs like these. Only at literati.com slash readnext can you get 25% off your first two orders and receive five incredible kids' books curated by experts delivered to your door every month. That's literati.com slash readnext. Shaney, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Well, it's so good to talk to you today. So we have met in person before in we Austin, have. Texas. A while ago. But it has been, yeah, it has been years. So it's nice to hear your voice again. Nice to hear your, well, I mean, I hear your voice every week on the podcast, <laughs> but nice to actually be interacting with you yeah, in yeah, person. Yeah. <laughs> That's fun. Social media is great, but it's a little bit different. It really is. Okay. So Shaney, could you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Um, so I work as a massage therapist. I also teach massage therapy, um, but that's not necessarily like my dream in life. I didn't grow up thinking like, oh, I want to be a massage therapist. It kind of more happened. It dropped into my lap after I hated my desk job. <laughs> Did you make the professional change at the same time you moved from Texas to Chicago? Yeah, I kind of did the whole like, well, as long as I'm changing jobs, why not move? I mean, my my now husband, then boyfriend, had already moved to Chicago to go to law school at the University of Chicago, and we had been long distance for a year. And so after my year with a desk job and absolutely hating it and knowing that I was going to change, I figured, well, why not move <laughs> at the same time that I'm changing careers because there will probably never be a better time. Mm -hmm. What are your, how do you stay sane in the midst of all that? Is upheaval too strong? doesn't seem too strong. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's too strong. And I, I mean, I did struggle when I first came here. I mean, it was kind of nice that Matthew, my husband had already been here because I wasn't necessarily like looking for a church. I wasn't trying to figure out like who people were in my age group in this area or whatever, like he already had connections. I moved and I immediately jumped into school. Um, so I kind of already had a plan. Mm -hmm. So in the midst of all that, where does reading fit into your life? Reading is just, I don't know exactly how to put this. Have you heard of the Strengths Finder test? Yes, I have. Okay. So I took that as an incoming freshman at Baylor University because they make everyone take it. 
I haven't taken it since then, so I don't know if all of mine would be the same. And I don't even remember all of mine. Um, but the one that I read and I was like, oh, that's totally me and has definitely stuck. And I'm absolutely sure would still be there if I took it again uh -huh. um, is the strength input, uh -huh. uh, which from I mean, I haven't done tons of extensive reading on strengths finder, but the way that it was kind of summarized in the little packet was that you like to collect facts just for the sake of collecting facts. So I've noticed that in my reading life, mm -hmm. a lot of that comes out. And I've learned that if I start reading it and I get like a chapter or two in and then I put it aside for a long time, like that's not the book for me to read mm -hmm. right now. And I, just, I don't try to like force myself through it. I'm just like, all right, what's the next book that's grabbing me? Yeah. Then And sometimes I'll come back to that book. Like I just recently read all the way through Jane Eyre mm -hmm. for the first time, mm -hmm. um, which I picked up several times when I was a teenager read the first little bit and then set aside and was like, this is just not grabbing me for whatever reason. Then I read through, I'm like, why didn't it grab me? Mm -hmm. <laughs> then I love this book and the dialogue is just so amazing. I'm trying to get my husband to read it because <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think he will enjoy uh -huh. the witty dialogue um, between Jane and Mr. Rochester. That's interesting. I'm a big input person as well. And when we had Sarah Stewart Holland on back in episode 43, she mentioned that she had realized that her brain was a very thirsty sponge and she was an input <laughs> person and she has learned to play to that and just uh -huh. read a lot of the water is wide, you know, uh -huh. like there's a lot out there and just sample it all and learn some new uh -huh. stuff and that that made reading fun for her. So it's interesting uh -huh. to hear how you had a very similar kind of experience. Yeah. Cool. I'm, and I read a lot of nonfiction too. I haven't been reading as much. I guess that's not quite true because when we get to the books I'm currently reading, they're both mm -hmm. nonfiction. <laughs> I have found that as the internet has become more of a thing and since we're getting more and more information from the internet that I tend to get a little bit more of my nonfiction from more blog posts and articles mm -hmm. because then they're in they're in more easy to digest bits mm -hmm. than in books where they like go really deep into one specific subject. And my the way my input brain works, I'm more like it doesn't quite as easily drill down into the deeper and deeper and deeper mm -hmm. of one specific subject. It's more like okay, now that we have this little factoid over here, we want to go and read about this other completely unrelated factoid. <laughs> yeah, there's totally two styles. Some of us are scanners who mm -hmm. feel driven to explore widely, which mm -hmm. is totally what you're talking about with your input thing, and love to learn about everything. And then there are the deep divers who mm -hmm. are perfectly happy to learn as much as they can about one thing. And these mm -hmm. are the people who spend their lives studying Jane Austen's juvenilia, Mm -hmm. and how she uses nouns right. in those books. Those are the deep divers. Want a confidence boost? Take coloring your hair at home to the next level with Madison Reed. Get gorgeous professional hair color delivered to your door starting at $22. This is game-changing color you can do at home and look as if you just came from the salon without the time or expense. At Madison Reed, master colorists blend nuances of light, dark, cool, and warm tones to create over 55 gorgeous multidimensional shades. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com. What Should I Read Next listeners get 10% off plus free shipping on their first color kit with the code READ. Use the code READ, R-E-A-D, at madison-read, R-E-E-D.com. Readers, if you love What Should I Read Next, you're going to love being part of our Patreon community. That's where we share bonus episodes, including follow-ups with previous guests, interesting conversations that were cut for time reasons, and one great book style episodes where I tell you all about recent reads that I adore. In addition to the extra audio, you get access to our super secret spreadsheet vault with a full list of all the books guests love, 
and my three recommendations from every episode in an easy to search format. And on occasion, we get together live online for Ask Us Anything style conversations and events like our 90 minute fall book preview and summer reading guide unboxing. Join for all these perks and to be part of the community behind What Should I Read Next. Go to patreon.com slash what should I read next. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash what should I read next to become a member today. Patreon.com slash what should I read next. You know how this works. So you're going to tell me three books you love, one book you hate, and what you've been reading lately, and we'll talk about what you should read next. So let's start (laughs) with your favorites. Tell me three books you love. So the first book that I picked is My Life in France by Julia Child, um, Mm -hmm. which, which was a recent favorite Um, I don't remember which episode exactly, but it wasn't that long ago. I remember one of your previous guests had said that was one of their favorites. And it's kind of funny. As soon as I heard that, I was like, maybe I should pick a different favorite. (laughs) (laughs) What is it about my life in France that you love? Are we going to are we going to get the contrast with that? Because I think I might see where you're going with that. Yeah. So my life in France, I picked for a couple different reasons. Um, One is I just love the way that food is described in the book. It makes you salivate Mm -hmm. and Oh my gosh, I I want to be able to enjoy my food the way that she is describing it. Mm -hmm. It's almost as if you can smell what she's talking about. Like it's that vivid. Mm -hmm. At least it was for me. But I also picked the book because Julia did not even start cooking school until she was in her 30s. -hmm. It wasn't even like, oh, this was some lifelong hobby inadvertently stumbled onto her life's passion just by doing those cooking lessons. I mean, I'm in a stage of my life where I'm, I know I'm not right in where my life's passion, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't tell you (laughs) what my life's passion is if you asked me. And so I really love my life in France because it helps me feel calm (laughs) about where I am. Yeah. And Julia gives you hope. She gives me so much hope. Yes. I like it. Okay. What's your second book? So my second favorite book is Bread and Wine by Shauna Nequist. And I've read several of her books, but this is the only one of the ones that I've read that I've read over and over again, Mm -hmm. multiple times. And I'm not even completely certain why, but for a while, this was the book that whenever I was bored, like let's say I was on the bus, I was reading something on my Kindle and it just was not keeping my interest. I would close that book, go back over to Bread and Wine, and I would just start over from from the beginning and start Mm -hmm. reading it again, even though I had probably read it multiple times. Interesting. Okay. For Um, listeners who don't know it, this is a interconnected essay collection about everyday ordinary life. And as you might guess, lots of everyday ordinary life happens about food. So there's a lot of musing on food and how it fits into our lives and how it connects people or doesn't. And the end of every chapter has a recipe. But I'm thinking that's not why you keep coming back to it. So you can keep reading the recipes. (laughs) I mean, I do read the recipes. I am the kind of person who will read cookbooks just for fun. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, so all of my favorites have something to do with food. And I totally didn't plan it that way. Um, Interesting. And I I don't even feel like food is like the thing that interconnects Mm -hmm. all my favorites. Mm -hmm. Like It's more of an obvious like, oh, you look at. You look at the three books and you're like, obviously, the thing that connects them is they all have something to do with food. But I don't think that's quite the reason why I love all of them. I think there's something a little bit deeper that 
connects the three of them that's not quite so surface level. Okay, tell us book three and we'll figure Um, it out. (laughs) Yeah, so book three um, is this book called How to Bake Pie Mm -hmm. by a woman named Eugenia Chang. Spell pie for us. Pie, so pie as in the, the mathematical symbol. Yeah, the actual symbol is on the front of the book. How to bake and then it's the symbol pie and the, there's a picture on the front of the book of a pie with a protractor <laughs> on top of it. Um, Math humor. <laughs> yes. And the subtitle is An Edible Exploration of the Mathematics of Mathematics. Kind of feels random to me in my favorites because I'm not a math person. I'm not necessarily interested in math. I am not necessarily like, oh, I've got to learn more about math or anything like that. I grabbed this book because my husband and I we're on a bookstore date together. I think this is for Valentine's Day. Not this past one, but the one before that, I think. It was it was Valentine's Day. I remember that. Mm-hmm. And instead of doing the stereotypical dinner and a movie date, we said, let's do dinner and a bookstore mm-hmm. <laughs> date. Um, so we went and this book was in the new releases mm-hmm. section. And it's one of those books where you're like, you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but I totally judged the book by its cover. <laughs> it's this beautiful blue, this beautiful shade of blue. There's that picture of the pie with the protractor. And I was just like, this looks fascinating. Mm-hmm. So I read, I read the inner flap where mm-hmm. it was describing what the book was, was about. And this woman who is a math, a mathematician and a math professor. And she wrote this book to use everyday things like baking and cooking and recipes, among other things like maps and directions and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. to help describe how math works to people who are not mathematicians. Mm -hmm. And then she has a section of the book that talks about calculus. (laughs) There's this one line where she says, and calculus is how we calculate infinitesimally small things. I was reading along in the book and I got to that line. I remember like stopping and kind of looking up from the book and going, what? <laughs> like, how How did I get through two calculus courses mm-hmm. and somehow never even pick up on the fact that the whole point of calculus mm-hmm. is to calculate things that are so small that we couldn't calculate them other? Like, if someone had told me that in mm-hmm. either one of my calculus classes, maybe I would have actually understood mm-hmm. what the heck I was doing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now that we've heard your favorites, what do you see as a common thread? I, I think I see as a common thread kind of more how each one of these books fulfills the input part of myself. So I didn't pick up how to bake pie because of, oh my gosh, food and I love food. I picked it up because food was that entrance, that Mm -hmm. connecting point where it's like, Mm -hmm. if someone can use this to explain math to me and I can finally get it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) then buying this book at the full hardcover price will have been totally worth Mm -hmm. it. With Bread and Wine, I love the prose. I love how she talks about life and food and how they're connected. Um, But I also love how throughout all of that and all of her reflections, she's also giving some really practical cooking tips. Mm -hmm. So like my favorite chapter personally is when she talks about how to make risotto. And she's talking about taking it slowly and being patient and all, you know, all of that risotto is not something that you can rush <laughs> or it's not going to turn out correctly. And I had never made risotto and I read that chapter. And in addition to all the more 
you know, oh, and life is about being willing to take things slowly and stuff. I was also like, and now I know how to cook risotto. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) My life in France, I think also has a similar, like I watched the movie, Julie and Julia, and then I read the book, Julie and Julia. So I, I can see how my tendency to go, okay, well, now I've watched this movie, but I want to know more about like how this movie even came to be mm-hmm. and how I kind of traveled backwards from there mm-hmm. to get to my life in France mm-hmm. because it was connected to something that I had already started getting involved in. I was like, okay, well then I'll read more about Julia Child herself in reading that discovering, oh wow, there's more than just like facts about Julia <laughs> in here. There's a wonderful story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really surprising for me. I had no idea she was so fascinating and her personality was completely (laughs) unlike what I expected. (laughs) Okay. Since you mentioned Julie and Julia, what is the book you hate? The book I hate, which might sound kind of funny, is Julie and Julia, which I read the book because I watched the movie first, Mm -hmm. which I don't normally do. Mm -hmm. So are you on the team that says the movie was better than the book? Are you in that camp? Or did you hate the movie too? (laughs) No, I actually loved the movie. So anytime that someone's says, you know, give me an example where the movie actually was better than the book. This is always, always my first example. I'm like, oh, no, the movie of Julie and Julia was way better than the book. Um, I had really high hopes for that book back in the day because the first thing I read was a teaser in Bon Appetit. Mm -hmm. And it was Julie Powell writing about um, butter. It was something Uh about butter and Julia Childs and her butter, like you were mentioning. Uh And it was so funny. And then the book came out. I realized that was the best part Mm -hmm. right there. (laughs) So this was one of the first pieces of, I don't really like this term, but you get what it is. It's stunt journalism where somebody does a big experiment and then they write Uh a book about it. So she is cooking through recipe by recipe, mastering the art of French cooking, right? It's been a while for me. Yes. The movie version. I feel that Amy Adams portrayed a really likable Julie Powell, Uh Um, you know, someone who is down to earth and sweet and like just really wants to get it right. You know, you're rooting for her. And then I remember when we got to the end of that movie and she finds out that Julia Child has been reading her blog and doesn't care for her. You know, she's totally devastated and my heart was so wrenched, like, oh, Mm -hmm. how could Julia Child Mm -hmm. not like her trying? And then I read the book and I understood why Julia Child (laughs) did not not care (laughs) for the blog. We can just leave it there. I (laughs) hear you. (laughs) She's not the same likable character in the book that she is in the movie. Shani, what are you reading now? I am reading a couple different nonfiction books. The Righteous Mind by Jonathan, I think he pronounced his last name, Height. It's H-I-H-A-I-D-T. The subtitle is Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion. Ooh, timely. Um, <laughs> yes. And I'm about 100 pages into The Righteous Mind, and it's fascinating so far. Um, his theory, at least insofar as, as I have read, is that we tend to think that we make moral decisions based on thinking through things logically, step by step, okay, well, if A, then B, but through a set of experiments that he's run and that other moral psychologists have run, they have found that actually we don't really make our moral decisions based on thinking through things. We make them based on our intuition, 
and our gut reactions and our gut feelings. And they've done all sorts of um, experiments. You know, you're saying that this is wrong because X, but if we take X away, would you still say it's wrong? What else is on your stack right now? So there's that book and there's a book called How to Be Black, mm-hmm. Baratunde Thurston, mm-hmm. um, which is a little bit more comedic than The Righteous Mind. Shani, is there anything you want to be different in your reading life? Maybe just being a little bit more, I don't know if systematic is quite the word, um, but I mean, my my reading life is so random mm-hmm. that it's not unusual for me to say like, oh, I want to read this book, but it's not grabbing me right now. And for that book to then sit on my shelf for years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been thinking a fun January show might be to do how a bunch of different readers track the books they read, decide mm-hmm. what to read next and keep track of what they want to read in the future. So, OK, we'll think about that. that in- that's interesting to hear. Shani, I have ideas for you. Um, I'm going to have to do some fast thinking on my feet here, but I have ideas. (laughs) We'll sort it out right after the break. Welcome back. Shani, let's talk about your books. Okay, so you pulled out that you really like the input piece. You like to learn a lot of new information about a lot of different things. I mean, you didn't use this word, but inspirational stories like Julia Child, who didn't find her calling till later in life, how to bake pie that can make a really abstract idea matter to your mind. The books you've chosen all have this common thread of where do you find yourself in life Hmm. right now? And we're going to keep your characters likable, whether or not they're real or fictional. I jotted down while we were talking one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight titles on paper. (laughs) We got to get it down to three. What about... A Clearing in the Distance by Vitold Ribzinski. I have not even heard of that one. (laughs) Have you heard of him? No. Okay, because his last name is intimidating, and I grew up with an intimidating last name, and I think this is intimidating. Uh, We call him (laughs) Vitold in my house. We talk about Vitold a lot. We ask what Vitold would think about that. He is a University of Pennsylvania professor and writer who writes a lot about uh, the spaces we live in, the way we use our land, and historical characters and architecture. So if that doesn't sound riveting, I don't know what does. (laughs) So this is the kind of book that you need persuasion to pick up. Uh, My persuasion was I read his most recent book at the time called Last Harvest. Uh, The Last Harvest being farm family grows up, they decide they're ready to retire, and their final haul, cash haul, crop haul, is selling out to a developer and cashing in the farm. So he talks about what that does for the patterns of America, which I was interested in at the time, and I loved his writing, so I picked up whatever else he had, which happened to be this dry-sounding work that I really think you're going to love. So work with me. It's called A Clearing in the Distance. The subtitle, also riveting, Frederick Law Olmsted in America in the 19th century. Here is why I liked it for you. That book sounds like a textbook. It does not sound interesting. But you start reading and you're like, this is everything I wanted to know about this man that I did not know was fascinating. So Olmsted was a landscape architect, like the best in the world of his time, before that was actually a profession. He really floundered. He floundered hard. He was an aggressive flounderer until his uh, his mid-30s, just like Julia Child. And you get to see in reverse how he stumbled his way into a career that he was amazing at, that he really kind of designed just for him. He fell into it by happenstance and he turned out to be completely genius at it. So he designed Central Park, which was his first job. Central Park was his first job, but just a little uh, how he knew what to do with the land. Some of the details of how the rocks got moved into place and how they decided to put the 
park where it was and where the lake is where it is and how what was already there and what they worked around and what they dug out. I'm just going to keep saying it's way more fascinating than you think it would be. And then it just sounds. Um, oh, also, it sounds fascinating to me. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. So some of the projects he did. So Central Park in New York, uh, he did Boston's Back Bay Fence. He did the campus of Stanford. He did Biltmore. I live in Louisville, Kentucky. He did our whole park system here. I live very close to an Olmsted Park. So I had that personal connection. Living in Chicago, his legacy was all over the World Fair. I really think you would find it hopeful as a 26-year-old looking at somebody who came into an amazing career in their 30s, and that you would just find it really, really interesting. It's probably not a field you know that much about. So what do you think? Oh, that sounds great. I also, um, one thing that I have found that I really love reading about is pretty much, I mean, this is extremely broad category, but anything historical. I mm. love history. Awesome. So the idea that we can have like kind of a biography of a guy along with like the history of famous landmarks that mm -hmm. people are familiar with. Just, yeah. yeah, this sounds great to me. Yeah. And his work lives on and you can go see it, which is really cool. It helps you relate to somebody who lived uh -huh. a couple hundred years ago. Okay. Book two, oddly, a lot of the ones on my list are about house and home and the way we live. And I'm totally counting Vitold in that because household architecture, that kind of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. This isn't the category I would have picked out for you, but I like this individual title. Have you read Presence by Amy Cuddy? No, I have not. Okay, so this is Presence, bringing your boldest self to your biggest challenges. Here's why I like it for you. She did the TED Talk on the Superman pose, how okay. standing I, in a confident pose oh, yeah. Yeah. for two minutes changes the way it changes the way you think. So I like it for you because first of all, you work with the human body and she's talking about how the human body affects our thoughts and our actions in ways that most of us are completely oblivious to. I think you'll <laughs> appreciate that because what she's doing is she's unpacking the science behind the mind body connections. And she also shows you how to use like really simple techniques to improve your life. And she, um, let's see, for reasons I don't remember, she was in a really bad car wreck when she was in college. And she okay. talked about how she hated being in vehicles and what she did, not only mentally, but especially physically to get over that a little bit. It was mm -hmm. just really interesting and practical. But she said that she changed the way she approached big decisions when a surf instructor told her, you can stay on the wave if you decide you're going to stay on the board. And she talks about how she used that same metaphor in her life to change the way she made decisions. And um, I wrote a newsletter once upon a time about how that changed the way I went to Target. Maybe maybe we can <laughs> dig that up and find it in show notes. But I'm I, not going to spend more than $30. <laughs> interestingly, that is not what I'm talking about. But you might have to read it and see. If you want a taste of what she's going to give you, go look up the TED Talk. We'll put it in show notes. It's really great. And it's probably only like 13 minutes. I like it for you because it's about learning new things in an area, your own body, that you think you already know a lot about. So you'll get that experience of like, oh, so that's what's really going on. And also, you're a massage therapist. This is about making connections between the mind and the body. I like this for you professionally as well. What do you think? Oh, it sounds fantastic. You're just hitting them on the head. <laughs> Book three. Have you read Daily Rituals? No. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. <laughs> really? I, this makes me really happy. Really happy. <laughs> this is a lot more attractive. This is the kind of book they put out on the gift table at bookstores because it's pretty. Unlike Vitold, which looks, I mean, it looks pretty, but it <laughs> looks boring. 
<laughs> if I emphasize how it looks boring and it's not, will you remember the boring part or the it's really not part? I hope you remember that it's really not part. Okay, excellent. (laughs) But this could be gift book material. Daily Rituals, How Artists Work is by Mason Curry. And it is exactly what it says. So it contains the daily routines of 237 creative types, broadly defined. Um, Writers, painters, choreographers, poets, playwrights, philosophers, scientists, sculptors, filmmaker like the whole shebang um mm-hmm. some are hundreds of years old some are still working you get to see their creative processes um sometimes they're healthy like i wake up early and i eat three eggs and i go to the gym and then i go to work and some involve three bottles of wine and <laughs> no sleep for three days what i really like about this is it's heavy on the the input no but i love that i you know, it's it's one thing to look at somebody and say, wow, you've done all this stuff, but I, I'm very interested in the process of, but how did you get there? And how how realistic is it that somebody else could get there? What I like about this, okay, so there's 237 daily schedules and some mm-hmm. are wildly eccentric and <laughs> some are super boring. Like Charles Schultz, he drove his kids to school in the minivan. He came home and he sat down at his desk, which might've been like in a detached barn or something like that. If I remember correctly, some thought they couldn't work unless they like took four hour walks every day. And you hear about people with family life and no family life. And Mm. they are like, these routines are wildly contradictory. And instead of being like, Oh, what am I supposed to do now? Uh, You know, like, cause it's impossible to do Mm -hmm all the things in the book because they're so different. It does. It's, it gives you lots of ideas. Mm -hmm. It gives you lots of appreciation for how diverse these people are, for how Uh diverse the work habits of people who are wildly successful in their own ways have been. And it really gives you confidence that, okay, there's no right way to work. Like I can just do what works for me and steal some ideas. If you see any good ones on the page. Mm -hmm. So what I also like about this is you could set this aside for a little bit and pick it back up without letting it linger on yourself for a few years. Cause it's really easy mm-hmm. to just pick up. You could totally read it straight through. That would be fine. Mm-hmm. And that would be enjoyable. And your brain might appreciate the onslaught of contradictory information <laughs> all at once that might heighten the effect in a fun mm-hmm. way. But you can also, you know, like, I don't know, let's just flip to a random page and see what it says. You can uh-huh. absolutely read it like that. So it's super laid back. You That's don't even need a bookmark. It's also a really gifty gift book. If you know anybody who's into like productivity or who's any kind of creative type or yeah, so <laughs> someone who needs to get stuff done could appreciate this book. How does that sound? Oh, it sounds great. Okay. Shani of those three books, what do you think you'll read next? Um, I mean, these days I'm getting my books from the library, so I'm going to be one of those people who says whatever comes to <laughs> via my library. If I, I mean, if I had my choice, that first book, which I didn't write down the title, a of clearing the first... in the distance. Do not worry about spelling Vitold Ribzinski. We will put that in show notes, so you don't have to spell it. My little hipster side is coming out in that you you called that one the boring one, and I'm like, cool. That's <laughs> <laughs> it. Make it makes me feel. This is going to sound so awful, but it makes me feel superior. <laughs> like, ooh, a boring book that I might actually find not boring. Like, please let me read that. <laughs> Yay. Excellent. Well, I can't wait to hear what you think. Yeah, I am so excited about reading all of these. I have to finish The Righteous Mind first because I promised my husband <laughs> that Fair I would. enough. Well, it's going to take the library a few days to deliver. Yeah. 
That is true. All right. Thanks for talking books with me today. All right. Thank you. Hey, readers. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Shaney today. Please head to the podcast site to let me know what you thought of my recommendations and to share your recommendations for what Shaney should read next. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 57. And it's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.